Hi everyone, it's Naran here from In Theory Podcast. Maria and I are very proud of this episode. As you'll hear later, we were inspired to do it because of how patriotically American we feel. This came up in the second half of our interview with Olive earlier this season. Check it out on our website if you haven't yet heard it. And we love the conversation so much, we decided to dedicate an entire episode to patriotism. Conservatives often stake an exclusive claim to the term in public discourse. We've all heard the love it or leave it rhetoric. But Maria and I were compelled by the idea that America is ours too. And we wanted to talk about what patriotism means to us as progressive women of color. So this episode focuses on the things that we love about our country and the things we hope for it. But hovering in the background as we get ready to air this in late March of 2016, there's also a real fear and disappointment in the America that we're living in today. We're on the cusp of possibly nominating a bigot to represent the Republican Party in the presidential election. And with the rise of this candidate, the ugliness and racism that was probably always present has surfaced in an aggressive way. It's been stewarded and cultivated and made a spectacle in a way that's starting to turn people numb to truly horrible ideas and behaviors. And well, we wanted to acknowledge that before diving into an episode that very much celebrates our love for our country. We're still making sense of what's been happening in our national conversation, but rather than deconstructing the bigoted views being expressed this election cycle, we wanted to focus our discussion on articulating a very different and in our opinion, even more patriotic vision of what patriotism could look like for the diverse and complicated America of today. So there you have it. We hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. So Naran, um, did I ever tell you about the time when I was 16 and living in Norway? Wait, <laughs> you lived in Norway? Yeah. So when I, okay, <laughs> when I was growing up, I was like desperate to travel, but my family, we have five kids. My dad was a high school teacher. There wasn't like a ton of cash to be throwing around for international travel. Yeah. And this opportunity arose where this girl came as a foreign exchange student to my high school and she asked me if I wanted to like come and live with her. And I was basically like, heck yeah, I don't even know where exactly that is on the map, but I'm in. So I like raised money from my church and from like the Rotary Club and all this stuff. So anyway, and I like got there and it blew my mind. It was amazing. The people were incredible. I had just like the best time. And it was it made me feel like I was part of this wonderful international community. Yeah. And I was like, you know, out late drinking coffee till three in the morning, like with my friends, everyone likes chain smoking in cafes. It was just like, you know, I was 16. I, it was like the height of cool. <laughs> So in the middle of all of this, um, I had what was like my first real patriotic awakening experience, which is kind of the opposite of what I guess I expected being abroad. So I was at this cafe, which is like my favorite cafe that I would go to with my friends all the time. And I ran into this guy, like a young man, like our age, a little bit older, who just come back from visiting America. And I was like, oh, how was it? Expecting him to say, amazing, rah, rah, America, hamburgers and pickup trucks and whatever. (laughs) Right. And he goes, I thought it was disgusting. Wait, seriously? I I was like, wait, what was the like dirty in your hotel or something? No, (laughs) he was talking about, he said, there's no American look. 
and he meant ethnically that there was no kind of clear sense oh of what American looked like and that we had no unity and he found the total kind of dispersal and mixed jumbleness of American identity kind of off-putting and distressing which <laughs> totally blew my mind it just never oh had God. occurred to me that someone would ever think of that as anything but the absolute best of advantages to have a country where people come from all over the world and have new opportunities and kind of make their home there I was like, screw you, dude. I was so mad at him. Yeah. But I also became re I felt so patriotic. I was like, what are you talking about? America is the best because of this thing that you don't understand because you are the worst. Oh my gosh. It sounds like a <laughs> Nazi white supremacist person. Like <laughs> I know, but he just looked like a normal dude. I was wow. like, what? But it was really amazing because it was this moment where I just went, wow, you know what? Like, I love traveling, I love seeing the world, but I am American, and I'm proud to be American, and I love what America stands for. Oh my gosh, cute tears. That's really sweet. And, like, what what a comment. Like, what a weird thing to experience. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm Maria Sachiko Sassiri. And I'm Naran Khan. And this is In Theory, the podcast where we use theory to explain our world. And today we're talking about patriotism, obviously. Um, so feeling proud and loving up on your country. And in this case, we're talking specifically about America. Um, and, you know, in particular, we're coming at it from our positions as women of color, who's both of us have families uh, that are first generation immigrant families, um, both from kind of non major urban parts of America. I'm from Virginia, Naran's from Michigan. And I'd say we both consider ourselves pretty patriotic people. Uh, but we also think that label could use a little unpacking. Definitely. And in this moment of folks feeling like they have ownership over the word patriotism or patriotic and certainly having ownership over those sentiments, and I'm talking about like Fox News mm. claiming ownership over the word and and really accusing anyone that doesn't have their opinions as being unpatriotic, it just, Maria and I really felt like the need to revisit this, understand it, and kind of proclaim our love for America and and really describe what that means. And surely that does not mean that you can not be conflicted about certain policies or certain things, but there is this like love. So like what does that mean? And is it good is it bad? Is it real? Is it constructed? There's lots to unpack here. Absolutely. And in the middle of all this, we'll be thinking about where does the idea of a nation even come from? Um, there's some great scholarship about that, which we're going to dip into a little as we're thinking about our feelings about our nation. Awesome. So let's uh, dive right in. So do you want to start with your stories about Pakistan? Yeah, totally. So I've had many moments abroad and here where I really felt like just a sense of why I like being American, what privileges that affords me, what responsibilities that kind of also affords me. And I think a really clarifying moment for me was I'm a practicing Shia Muslim, um, which is a religious minority in the Muslim world broadly and certainly in Pakistan where my parents are from. And whenever I've had the opportunity to participate in religious practices in Pakistan, like we always do it 
no, I wouldn't say in secret, but definitely very quietly with tons of security mm. and like mm. all of this concern. Um, and one piece of me just feels like that's so sad and terrible. And I think about in the US when I'm, I, I'm able to practice freely. And then I think about like my own feminism and being a feminist Muslim woman and, you know, practicing and having my own perspectives, but still being welcomed into community, which I think is very uniquely American in some ways. Like I just had this moment where I was like, there is no better place on earth and in all of time for me to be who I am most fully than in America, which is so dramatic. It's like (laughs) sappy. I'm having like sap tears. (laughs) But I I actually think it's true. And that drives so much of my passion for my country and pain for when these very things I think are so important are deemed not important by others and in fact negative and a distraction and it just makes me real mad (laughs) this experience that you're describing that is like some originary American shit yeah right like a place where you can freely practice your religion and you can be yourself and live without fear of retribution from other people or fear of discrimination I mean that's the dream right that is what America was built to do like from the beginning well I mean we can talk about First Nation people (laughs) we can talk about you know like what colonialists were escaping initially like a lot of it was persecution on their end too Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's a lot of different communities that came here and that were here originally on their own terms. But certainly in in the formation of America as its own state in the Western sense, that was what was meant to do. And to to see you kind of have your identity so based strongly on that, I think is beautiful. And one would hope that the most traditionalist of traditional American patriotic people would see that and say, right on, that's what I think this is for. Well, I'll say I was searching my email and looking for the words patriotic or patriotism, and they were definitely tied to elections. I think like elections mm. um, because of the public debates, because of the you know robustness of the process, like get me kind of sappy. And you know, there are some elections that maybe I felt that way more than others. I don't know if you feel <laughs> if you felt that. I way mean, some too. elections get me sappy; other ones just put uh, me into a white blinding rage. But <laughs> what really resonates for you? For me, I think I agree that elections are really important. And I mean, I get frustrated with the money and politics and that kind of stuff around elections, especially. But I do think it's a really important moment for us as an electorate, as a group of people and voters to come together and say, you know, not only what short term changes do I want to see, but what do I think the American dream is? What do I think or what do I want to imagine the country can be? And I think this is one of the reasons that another one of my most patriotic moments happened actually again while I was abroad during, but it was during the 2008 elections on the night when Barack Obama was elected. Swoon. Uh, Yes. Oh, there's a lot of issues certainly with his administration, but that was the first time that I had really seen a political administration that represented my beliefs, at least in some way be voted in by a majority of other Americans. Sure. You know, and to say like, wow, we're we're in this together and 
we are a country which for so long has, you know, not only never elected someone who wasn't white, but also now we're electing someone whose name is Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. Like this is a name that just screams difference mm-hmm. and says, that's okay. Being from a non Western European, a non British background is still super American, can be the most American. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed out the fact that you were kind of studying abroad at this moment. It seems like for students, that can be a very clarifying time. Certainly it was for me, either studying or being abroad. There were moments mm-hmm. when I was kind of confronted. I mean, I think being a minority really helps you understand what defines you and makes you feel different. Like the different, it forces you to unpack your difference. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems to be like a really crucial time for people to understand identity on all different levels. Definitely. I read a really interesting piece about this. There's a scholar called Calvert Jones who did a study about um, American students who study abroad during college. Yeah. And I guess like the hypothesis they had was that when students study abroad, they'll develop more of this like we feeling across cultural divides. Yeah. They'll feel part of like cosmopolitan sort of feeling. And what they got back was actually not that. Um, they found that studying abroad makes Americans feel prouder of America um, <laughs> and more kind of identifying with it and particularly proud of its like artistic, political, athletic achievements, even its armed forces. And so he ended up coming out of that study. Um, I will post a link to this um, on our website. He, the end of, he wrote a Washington Post piece about it and then at the end said – you know, maybe what we need to be thinking about promoting is more of an enlightened nationalism rather than this kind of gigantic uniculture across the globe. Huh. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. People feel pretty strongly connected to their their nations, and it doesn't have to be uh, a warlike sentiment. There can be a way to be, like, super patriotic and into your country, but it not necessarily mean an aggressive into your country. Sure. That prompts me to think that... um... It's not crazy that the State Department funds the Fulbright program, which, you know, sends Americans abroad to study and kind of creates cultural connections between others. So true. Yeah. Such a good program. We made it in America. I pledge allegiance to my grandma for that banana putting our piece of Americana. Our apple pie was supplied through Arm and Hammer. Straight out the kitchen. Shh, don't wake Nana. Build the Republic. Still stands. I'm trying to lead a nation and lead of my little mans. On my daughter, so I'm boiling this water. The scales was lopsided. I'm just restoring order. So, what is this patriotism thing we feel? Uh, what is a nation? Yeah, these are such interesting questions. Um, and, you know, right now it seems obvious like a nation is like the nation that I live in. What are you talking about, right? A nation state. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, most of us will have never met the vast majority of other people in our nation, or even seeing the majority of its physical geographical land, right? So nation has to be something that's in your mind for the most part. It's it's definitely out there, but you can never like actually be physically contact with all of it. Yeah. And so, yeah. Or in any real sense, fully grapple its kind of entirety in terms of both geography and people. Yeah, exactly. And in 1983, this book came out called Imagine Communities uh, by a scholar called Benedict Anderson. I think we've mentioned it before in passing in an earlier podcast. And uh, the idea basically that he puts forward is that that's what a nation is, is an imagined community. The idea of a nation as an imagined community is something that had to really come about only pretty recently because before that you had these religious communities or dynastic forms of government, so like monarchies, that up until really the late 18th century gave 
clear explanation for why things are organized the way they were and why you should feel committed to the community, the kind of national community to which you belonged. So that idea being that it was like divinely appointed, like how things are. Sure. But then once all that stuff started to break down and like the rise of scientific empiricisms were coming about, people had to like find another way to figure out why do I give a crap about this place that I've been almost randomly grouped into. Sure. You know, And it's super key to all different facets of society, everything from being able to conjure up an army, you won't be able to do that unless people feel a sense of connection with the folks around them or for people to give up some of their income for taxation mm-hmm. for the benefit of others. Without just like throwing a huge fit, right? Exactly. And to break up the nation. So, so it really is important to have a strong, that strong constructed sense of imagined community for lack of better term. Exactly. Um, And so, like, how did this happen? And Benedict Anderson does a nice job of outlining the important role that industrialized technology played in this, um, in particular print and the rise of, like, newspapers and daily newspapers. So where you start to have uh, more and more people being educated, so the rise of general literacy, so that Mm. everyone can now read this print, and it's coming out cheaply. It's being moved around really quickly by railroads and things like that. And so now, suddenly, everyone's getting kind of, like, status updates on the rest of the nation that every Everyone is reading kind of at the same time. And this starts to build this abstract idea of community that we are all in it together. We're all part of the same big thing and reinforcing a lot of the ideas about what the nation is and traditions and cultural identifiers through these shared texts, which, you know, the most extreme version was newspapers because those were happening kind of all the time regularly. He talks about like daily bestsellers or something like that. But then also through other kinds of print media, so like books and magazines, that kind of thing. Wow. The technology point probably just can't be overstated because we see that in our own American history, going from a nation that really saw itself as a group of states to more of a national presence and... A United States. A United States. States. (laughs) So that is really, really interesting. And that has happened... Definitely in the last, like, 150 years. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, as technology is sped up, the sense of, you know, imagined communities within a nation has only been strengthened in a lot of cases. Although some people would start to argue that with global electronic media, it's starting to connect the whole globe as one big global village instead of just within sure. the nation. But that's, like, maybe a conversation I know, for yeah. But, like, extranational <laughs> communities for sure. So people perceive themselves as being in communities that – may transcend borders and may not be one whole national Mm -hmm. or international community, but like people are able to find their people. There are kind of subcultures in other ways. Another Mm -hmm. day. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So what do we know here? Feeling patriotic in the way that we understand it currently is very much modern. Uh, The industrialized media and widespread education has helped share ideas, experiences, images, and stories in ways that help form imagined communities, even if we don't really see the rest of our country IRL. Just because these feelings are constructed, well, anyways, what isn't constructed? (laughs) It doesn't mean (laughs) that they're bull. Uh, Coming up, we'll talk about the serious emotional and political consequences of patriotism. This land is your land. So 
Feminism isn't just this ridiculous thing because it's totally constructed. There is value in having an imagined community and it's perceived in really real ways. And so we kind of want to unpack that today. Yeah, like the way I wanted to punch out that guy in Norway. (laughs) True. Or the way you want to hug strangers who are also American when you're abroad. I know. It's just really awkward. (laughs) Not all of them, but some of them. Fair. So it does prompt (laughs) a heartfelt connection to many people, most of whom you don't even know. Yeah, totally. And that manifests in a ton of ways. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when we're talking about how media can help to sort of create that story about what we are and reinforce it and spread it around, I feel like a great example of this is one of our favorite things, country music. (laughs) Yes. I'm, like, driving around in my car, and, like, they play a lot of patriotic songs. There's a lot of stuff about what it means to be American, like, what American people are like. And a lot of times I'll feel really, like, touched by those songs. So, like, for example, there's one that I have a lot of conflicted feelings about called uh, What I Love About Sunday by Craig Morgan. And that song, it basically just describes a chilled out Sunday where you go to church and you see everyone in your community there. And then you go home and you have chicken and baked beans. And then you, like, have a nap on the back porch and then maybe go fishing. Like, adorable, iconic, small town American. And I just love it, even though my family doesn't eat chicken and baked beans. But we did have lazy Sundays like that. And, you know, we go to church and I see all our community. Then we come home. But then we put on an Italian tomato sauce and spend the day cooking that while we watch football instead of watching football and making chicken or whatever. And so it feels like really connected to my experience of America, but also sort of validates my belief that America can have a lot of stuff that's shared, even if the details of how we live out our American lives can be different based on our cultural backgrounds. Does that make some sense? Totally. I I do separately feel like we're being totally manipulated by country music in the very best (laughs) way because the narrative storytelling is so compelling. But they do visit these themes of Americanness and specifically Southern or rural life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some of that really resonates with me too. Again, with lots of caveats and lots of differences, but... The pride that's expressed totally resonates. And one of the songs I love a lot by a person I don't like very much at all, Jason Aldean, is uh, is Flyover States. Obviously, you don't hear about it when you're from Michigan because Michigan is technically what people call a flyover state. But once I moved to the East Coast, I realized that people were saying (laughs) there were two coasts and California and basically like New York and D.C. or whatever else are the only two sides of the country that matter and they don't care about the rest of the country so there are all these flyover states <gasps> which Not is okay. like gasp it's so bad it's horrible and it, I just like then I got super defensive about it and I have nothing to do with Jason Aldean and his way <laughs> of life and I don't even know where he's from but you know the idea that like there is value to the rest of the country and yep. you know like I identify as being a Michigander and all of this other stuff really resonated Take a ride across the badlands 
So it's true that somehow country music is just one example of an articulation of this connection um, to America, to one another, sentimentality. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And I think it all, you know, and often it, it tends to be pretty conservative, right? It tends to be rooted in traditions and like it has a certain vision of American identity, which is pretty old fashioned. Oh, There's it's white nuclear, nuclear families. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with that all the time. Yeah. But I do think that there are, um, like, songs that manage to capture how nice that world is, but then also to suggest that that world is shifting in ways that don't mean that it's any less American or any less awesome, but it's just changing as time changes. And one of the songs that I really like that works that way um, is a song by Trisha Yearwood called An American Girl. And basically the whole song is about how this girl was like raised to be the super girly girl. You know, this picture of her, her mama in heels and pearls, but she's trying to make it in her daddy's world. And basically all about how she's like a single mom, working, trying to do her thing, and also is this like iconic American girl in the traditional sense. And I, I, I like it. I feel like it captures this tension that's always going on between how do we hold on to what makes us feel connected to a country that we feel like we already know and also feel like we belong to a country that can change with our values and with technology and all the other ways that society is changing. Sure. Maybe one last piece to touch is just the fact that in this moment of heightened Islamophobia, mm. where we really are calling into question, not we, but parts of society are vocally calling into question our diversity by singling out a particular group of people. In this instance, Muslims, historically, it, can have, it has been all sorts of different groups of people. Really, yeah. like, it, it agitates me in so many ways, but the way in which I, I feel it most most seriously is that it's compromising my vision of a very diverse America where I have space to be who I am. And it's like very painful and strange. It's strange in this moment. One of my favorite memes or moments of 2015 just happened in late November mm -hmm. uh, when a Muslim woman on Fox News wore an American flag hijab. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> totally trolling everyone. It was so great. And so, I mean, she was like head of Muslim Republicans, which is like some sort of coalition of Muslim Republicans. Huh. Separate story. But it was it was such a great moment of someone else seizing the image and sentiments of patriotism to show that not one group has monopoly over them. I just loved it. It was so great. And it just made me feel like I need to live that out in whatever ways I can. <laughs> I so agree. And I mean, I think a lot about what you're saying about Islamophobia is also true about a lot of other ways in which America kind of fails to live up to its dream of diversity and inclusivity. So, you know, a lot of the racist police brutality stuff that we've seen played mm -hmm. out over the past few years, it's one of the reasons it's so painful and distressing is because of how it ends up, you know, dividing communities that you would hope would be working together. You know, I know that basically all evidence is pointing to the contrary repeatedly, but 
I do believe that at the heart of things, police departments are there to protect and serve their communities. And I think most police men and women actually really want to be there for their communities. But all of these examples that we're seeing are showing how how that's failing to happen and ending up splitting along race lines. It reveals how one of the many ways that the American dream is, you know, not fully able to be realized for so many people. Yeah, fair. An important part of any conversation about where, which direction the country goes is to recognize that nobody has a monopoly on patriotism. Yeah. And that people can be equally patriotic and really disagree with each other. Conservative people do not have the monopoly over, over patriotism. Lots of different communities do. Yeah. There's not just one narrative about what, what patriotism looks like. Definitely. And, and most importantly, like one particular narrative the one that kind of dominates public discourse is not the one that has sole ownership over the term. And in fact, it's a detriment to our society when conservative elements of society that are exclusionary and limited get to decide what's patriotic and what's not and get to judge our broader aspirations of inclusiveness against that. I totally agree. If someone says love it or leave it to me, I say (laughs) you obviously don't love it enough to want to see it be its best version of itself. Boom. Ah, beautiful, Maria. (laughs) All right. Well, we all have a part to play in defining what patriotism looks like today, especially in an election year. So we should all get out there and rah-rah America and help change it in ways that reflect the new face of our country. Let's do it. Questions, comments, ideas, we'd love to hear from you as always at intheorypodcast at gmail.com. You can always find past podcasts and more info about us at intheory.us or on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and recommend us to any and all of your friends, also your family. <laughs> In Theory is produced with the support of Experimental Humanities and Human Rights Radio at Bard College. Music composition and art design by our awesome Aaron Taylor Waldman. Thanks for listening. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. I'm betting everything I've got on you. I'm giving all my love to one baby. Lord help me if my baby don't come true. I've got a great big old mother.